Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. All right, everybody, we're doing a sing-song episode because we started singing and now we can't stop. Um, No, we're stopping right now. Oh, to- <laughs> we're having so much fun. Um, hey, guys, welcome to another episode of Bird Shit Podcast. Um, you can't get rid of us. We're here to stay. We are never going away. Oh, we've met around this time. You better get in line. <laughs> yeah, we're totally singing our way through the whole episode. <laughs> no, please, we're not. Don't shut it off. Oh, okay. um, um, today, we are going to be talking about some birds that have an identity crisis, as well as some interesting birds in the news. I'm so ready for this. Yeah, are you? I- I am. I'm. What is it, Mo? Birds, birds in the news. Birds in the news. Birds, 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 birds in the news. Wow, I think we sang along the same line for the most part through most of it. I'm really proud of us. I'm going to start out with something really fun. It's kind of a blast from the past. The popular game Guitar Hero has now been turned into a game to help you memorize bird songs. I'm so excited about this. You do not get a guitar to play bird songs, unfortunately, with. But according to Treehugger.com, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology has created a new tool to help bird watchers learn bird songs in a visual and auditory way. So essentially what the game is, is you are learning to recognize up to 50 different bird songs. And the way they do it is they actually have the song and then a spectral image of what the song looks like. So uh, for instance, I played a demo of the game earlier and they had a nuthatch. And what they did was they gave you three different spectral images and then they played the song and you had to guess which one of the spectral images was this match the song so you could choose a b or c and i got it right because you're watching the pattern of how the bird call goes now i'm going to always remember the four marks that went along with it i remember like okay and i'm pretty sure like it'd be a super easy game to also make up ways to remember it like oh i I haven't come up with any examples because i literally just played it like 20 minutes ago but it's super cool Um, And it helps you train different parts of your brain because you're looking at a visual and you're also listening auditorily. So I think it's a super fun game. If you guys want to check it out, um, we will have a link to the video that gives you uh, an idea of how it works in our podcast. And also, I mean, like, who doesn't want to play games that's about increasing your birding skills? I really hope that college kids start playing this in dorm rooms like all over the country because that's... That's how Guitar Hero really took off, right? It was like yeah. it was like the way I met people freshman year. And by people I mean boys exclusively. <laughs> I mean it worked. <laughs> I mean, yeah, guys, if you want to pick up any ladies or any other men who might be interested in birds, here you go. Here's your chance. This is the tool that's gonna revolutionize the college dating scene. Yeah, you can invite them over to play Bird Song Hero and they won't expect anything of it. Bird Song Hero. That's not the intro, but Cornell, if you're listening, we'd like to market it to you. <laughs> if you're listening, hashtag not sponsored yet. <laughs> yeah, definite yet. <laughs> we're, we're so close. Just so, so close. close. 
Um, so I thought that was a super cool find, and it's something that's really fun, because I don't think we've covered, like, bird games before, which maybe we should do in a new section. Oh my gosh. Games you can play based on birds. Especially now during migration season, I'm finding that a lot of the birds are harder for me to even identify because they don't have their spring plumage right and so they don't really look the way that I want them to look and so I'll be out there and I'll be like all right it's probably a yellow warbler again because I just don't know the difference those warblers those damn warblers so if I knew songs it would be a lot easier to be able to put those pieces together and figure out what I'm looking at yeah I um don't have the exact list of all 50 birds that are included but I'm sure no we're not gonna we're not gonna give it to you because you need to go out there and check this game out have some fun and I imagine it'd be something that like if you got your headphones in and you're on a bus and you're bored like this would be a super easy way versus like bringing along a song book and trying to memorize it yeah just pretend you're outside when you're sitting yeah. in the subway yeah so yeah I thought that was a cool fun thing um and again we'll have a link to it for everyone to check out sweet my article is a little bit more of a bummer. Surprise! It's sad news about birds. Birds are being damaged by humans. In this case, it, some recent tests and studies that were done found that the same... Neonicotinoid. <laughs> oh my god, you just should have the robot playing it. I should. You should just stop and click it. And then the <laughs> robot will pronounce the word and you just keep going. <laughs> All right, so it turns out that there are these pesticides called neonicotinoids. I just don't like words that have that many syllables. Like, according to Google, this word has six syllables, and that is probably three too many for me. Yeah, it's not in your vocab. Get it out of here. Get out of here. Uh, Okay, anyway, so these pesticides, the neonicotinoids, Look at I said it all by myself. Are causing a lot of problems for migrating birds. It's a pesticide that are being used in farmlands to, you know, basically keep bugs off of crops. I get it. It's been rumored, and by rumored I mean scientifically proven, that this pesticide already affects bees. But now they're finding that it is causing problems in songbirds as well. They find that migrating songbirds who've been exposed to small amounts of neonicotinoids have suffered major weight loss and migration delays, and both of these can significantly reduce their chances of survival. The study was conducted to examine the effects of neonicotinoids on wild songbirds and kind of understanding how this hampers the birds' abilities to migrate. The effects of these pesticides are causing a lot of damage to birds' food consumption patterns, their body condition, and even the stopover duration that they have while they're migrating. And they also have links to survival and reproduction impacts as well. These pesticides are primarily used on corn, cotton, soybeans, and some other fruits and vegetables. They gave these birds small doses and then monitored what they would do. The birds that were exposed to the highest dose lost 6% of their body weight within six (gasps) hours. Oh my God. Yeah. And this exposure actually caused those birds to stay an average of three and a half days longer at the stopover site on their migration route compared to the birds that weren't dosed. So what they're thinking is exposure to these chemicals is causing an anorexic response that causes the birds to reduce their food consumption and rapidly lose weight. That's really disheartening to hear, especially because if you're losing weight, yeah, you're going to lose strength and you're not going to be able to make, because you need a lot of energy to make that fall migration. And if you don't want to eat. Yeah. 
And the thing that's even scarier is that a lot of times spring migration overlaps with the time that farmers are seeding their pesticides or treating them, particularly in the Midwest, which as we know is like a huge flyover zone for birds that are migrating. You know, I guess the good thing is, is that there are scientists out there, particularly at the University of Saskatchewan, that are tracking the effects of these pesticides. So hopefully we can learn more and figure out a way to get that shit banned because that's not good. Yeah, good thing our EPA is going to be so robust and going to probably ban it right away after a couple years of scientific studies. It's a bummer. Well, our final article is kind of a little more of a lighter note and actually jumps off the idea of migration. And I'm going to be talking about the black pole warbler. Again, according to treehugger.com, this bird is accomplishing one of the most extraordinary migratory feats on the planet. So as we know, um, this little black pole warbler is not a very big bird. He's pretty small guy, pretty normal warbler size. Itty bitty. Yep. And for decades, birding enthusiasts and scientists have been wondering if this forest songbird could really migrate from their northeastern home in a straight line over the Atlantic Ocean without stopping on their way to South America, which is essentially about 1,400 to 1,700 miles nonstop. And that's in just two to three days. But now, for the first time, they have irrefutable evidence that indeed these tiny little birds are making the journey nonstop. It's all thanks to trackers from the University of Massachusetts. Study author Bill DeLuca, who said, For small songbirds, we're only just now beginning to understand the migratory routes that connect temperate breeding grounds to tropical withering areas. So it's just super interesting because these black pole warblers are crooning forest dwellers, they are making this ocean flight. So that would be pretty typical for gulls and albatrosses who are known for these transoceanic flyers. But if a little warbler landed in the ocean, that could be proved fatal to them. So this flight is absolutely astounding. The researchers made their discovery by means of miniaturized geolocators, which they attached to the teeny warblers, and they only weighed in at about a half an ounce, which is adorable. To ramp up for their journey, the warblers eat as much as possible, and in some case, they double their body mass and fat so they can fly without needing food or water. That's what I do on overseas flights. Dude, yeah, that's what I do in any type of trip. Like, if it's just an hour away, I'm like, I better eat. Gotta have snacks. Yeah, because they can't land because the ocean is too dangerous for them to land into because they're so small. It's really a fly or die journey that requires a ton of energy. It's super cool. I think it's awesome that we get to learn more about this little tiny warbler who's, who is making this extraordinary flight. And also it just shows the impact of the potential of these pesticides too because obviously this is the type of bird that if they came into contact with those pesticides would not be able to make that flight. They're flying over 1,500 miles in a couple days. Can you imagine that tiny little guy just just out there in the ocean? He, like, comes up across, like, an albatross, and he's like, hey, man, how's it going? And he's, like, <laughs> flying so hard. Can I, like, draft you for a little bit? Yeah, can we hang out? Uh. Dude, yeah, it's awesome. I've been thinking a little bit more about, so I'm in Maine, right? And I'm still seeing a ton of monarch butterflies, and I don't know when those guys migrate south, but I'm thinking to myself, like, Have you ever watched a butterfly fly? Like, it is the most inefficient mechanism I've ever seen. A butterfly does not fly in a straight line the way a bird does. Like, a butterfly basically 
flies a million different directions to move forward like one foot. How does a butterfly fly to South America? Like, I do not understand that. Like, that is beyond my capacity. They, I imagine they get carried by the wind a lot. But I'm going to go real narrative on you. And do you know that because they fly on the um, light spectrum, butterflies that are darker colored have to flutter more than butterflies that are lighter colored and on higher wavelengths of the spectrum. That's weird. Dude, isn't that crazy? Oh my God. Can we start butterfly shit podcast? I learned that at the Detroit Zoo. Like, I looked like such an idiot child because this guy's telling us this and I'm the only person listening to him and I'm my mouth is wide open and I'm like, oh, they fly on light? Oh, tell me more. And I'm talking to this guy for like 20 minutes and no one else is listening. Dude, he probably loved it though. He's like, finally, somebody pays attention to me. Like, I've been here for 16 years and no one's paid attention. I was like, that's so cool. I didn't know they flew based off the light spectrum. Like, that's so cool. So yeah. Butterflies, man. Things in the air. That's what this podcast yeah. is going to be about. <laughs> Planes, birds, butterflies, random things people throw, all the things in the air. Let's get into the meat of this episode, which is... The hot dog meat. The hot dog meat of this episode. It's not a natural casing beef blend. <laughs> This is, okay, this is more like the weird bratwurst because... This is the bologna. This is the bologna. Good call. Yeah. Because today we are talking about birds that are having an identity crisis. These birds have behaviors or traits that differ greatly from other birds that are sort of in their family. And maybe this doesn't make sense. Maybe we're using scientific words wrong, but... Basically, it's birds that kind of go against the grain of what you would expect them to be based on the kind of bird that they are. I'm walking that back. We are so scientific and evidence-based. Don't you dare say we're not using science words. Yeah, but like, I don't know if they're necessarily like, I don't know if I'm talking about families of of birds here. families, genus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure where this falls on the hierarchy of the animal kingdom nomenclature, but I can tell you that these birds... They're something else. They are something else. They go against their taxonomy. They, they're, let's just keep it general. That's what we're going to go with. <laughs> so to start with, we're going to talk about the American Dipper or the Brown Dipper. They are in Asia as well. But for this particular one, we're talking about the American Dipper, which is found in North America. It's commonly found among rushing streams in the West Coast, particularly in the mountains. It's a stocky, medium-sized bird that's pretty much gray all over. It has a big head and a short neck and lots of long legs and not a lot of long legs. It has It's long got legs. 12 legs. <laughs> <laughs> it's an octo bird, which is terrifying. No. Okay. It has two legs and they're long. And here's why this bird is built this way. This bird is a songbird, so it is a passerine. However, it actually catches all of its food underwater in flowing streams by swimming and walking along the bottom of stream beds. What? Yeah, it's an aquatic songbird. So most of the food that this bird eats is caught underwater. It'll either walk with only its head submerged, just kind of like walking along, like looking under, or it can also dive and basically fly underwater by walking kind of by by like swimming through the water like but it looks like it's flying and it also walks on the bottom looking under stones in the stream bed and sometimes it'll swim on the surface of the water to pick up floating insects on the top of the water surface it's weird because it's it's a songbird but it basically acts like it's an aquatic bird more like a duck or something like that another thing it actually has in common with ducks is that unlike most songbirds it actually will molt its wing and tail feathers all at once in the late summer. 
So this is something that ducks do as well. They sort of molt their wing and tail feathers all at the same time, which is not something songbirds do. And during the time of its molting, it actually becomes flightless. Like it can't fly when it loses all of its feathers. Dude, this bird definitely thinks it's a duck. This bird thinks it's a duck. And I tell you what, like based on other things we've learned about ducks since starting this podcast, I don't think I'd (laughs) want to be a duck. You got to deal with corkscrew penises and all kinds of puzzle vaginas. Yeah, no, I would not want to be a duck either. But especially because this guy also is like flightless during a period of time. That's got to be pretty dangerous for a bird. Yeah, like, and you're a songbird, like, do that. Like, (laughs) yeah, just be that. Just be that. Nope, it's got to be special. So the American Dipper, aquatic songbird. I would have never guessed that. Especially because if I came across that bird, I think I would have a really difficult time saying, yeah, that's a songbird. Mm Mm-hmm. And also you'd be like, is that bird drowning? I don't understand. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go on to our next bird, which is actually a songbird, and it's called the evening grosbeak. So this is a heavyset fitch um, bird that lives in northern carnivorous forests. Um, and they have a yellow body, dusky head, and the female is more subtly marked, and they have golden highlights on soft gray plumage. There's two reasons I want to include this bird in kind of an identity crisis. This bird, looking at taxonomy, is a part of the grosbeak family, which I think is super interesting, this family by itself, because it contains various species of seed-eating passerine birds with large beaks. Although they have the same superfamily called Passerodea, these birds are not part of a natural group, but they're rather a polyflectic assemblage of distantly related songbirds. So I think these birds are already having an identity crisis because they're not from the same family. Let's take all the black sheep in the family and put them in one place is basically what they did. (laughs) They're like, we don't know what you are. Just go in here. (laughs) And I think it's more interesting, too, because genetic testing has revealed that it's more closely related to finches, yet it retains its gross beak name. So this bird is having a lot of family history problems. Like, if it went on Ancestry.com, it would basically give him no leaves. Like, he's not going anywhere. He'd search for, like, evening gross beak, and they'd be like, what are you doing here, bro? Mm. We already told you we don't have answers. (laughs) This bird is also very interesting because it's part of the songbird family, but it doesn't have a song. Dun, dun, dun. So this bird does not seem to use any complex sounds to attract a mate or defend its territory, which is signature of songbirds. However, it does have a small repertoire of simple calls, including piercing notes and burry trips. This is a songbird who does not know its family and is also not really singing any songs. So you, Mr. Evening Grosbeak, are kind of having an identity crisis as well. I wonder if basically the Evening Grosbeak was like, hey, mom, I want to be a singer. And they're like, shut the fuck up, kid. (laughs) Go back to your room. And that's why it decided I don't have a family. And also, I'm never singing ever again. That's my version of the story. That's the original evening gross speak. And then he went out and met similar people who were like, oh, yeah, I wanted to be a singer, but I never can. So I just make these little chirping noises. But I'm from a songbird family. And I just try to do it as quietly as possible, but I just, I can't resist the urge, but I don't want anyone to hear me. Yeah, dude. So yeah, the Evening Grow Speaks got a weird family and also doesn't like to sing. Oh. But it's a singer. But it sounds like it's got some nice golden highlights, so at least it looks like a dope bird. Yeah, it looks like a dope bird, but yeah, they're not, they're living a weird life. Good find. 
So coming in next, we have the Hotson. And the Hotson is a super stinky, smelly bird. And I'm really excited to talk about this bird. It's one of the craziest looking birds I've ever seen. And yet even for how weird it looks, it's not actually uncommon. It's widespread in the lowlands of northern and central South America. It's got this really long, loose crest on the top of its head, bright blue facial skin, which is, you know, that's dope, and a red eye, which is creepy. Dude, this bird is weird looking. I know got this really like it almost looks like a permanent bad hair dye that Mm -hmm. somehow got worse this bird has a lot of really cool characteristics that i just want to talk about before i get into why it made this list so first of all they nest above the water and one of the reasons they do this is because their young are actually born with little claws on each of their wings and their young can actually swim what happens is they lay their nests above the water and if the young feels threatened in some way it will drop into the water and then after like the the threat leaves the bird can like swim back and actually climb back up to the nest using the little claws on its wings dude that is like evolution feet great job yeah great job yeah way to go hotsons um yeah ho ho hotsons i'm cheering for you the thing about this bird is despite how weird it looks it's actually more commonly known for being the smelliest bird out there it actually has the nickname skunk bird because it smells so bad the reason that it smells so bad is because it's an herbivore and primarily its diet consists of leaves and fruit this also means it has a really unusual digestive system within a large crop which is used for fermentation of vegetable matter basically like a cow so it's a flying cow it doesn't really look like a flying cow but its insides look like a flying cow (laughs) so it smells like a flying cow its stomach breaks down these leaves that it eats basically like a cow's does and apparently the smell is so bad that it actually repels off predators and probably some people as well it's basically a bird with a cow's stomach which is just bonkers to me that looks like a old rock star with a like aging mohawk it's a mick jagger cow stomach bird with claws the claws fall off when they get older but like baby ones they have little claws and like it's already weird enough to me what baby birds do to survive but imagine being a baby bird and your mom's like look kid if shit goes down while i'm gone you're gonna need to (laughs) jump out of this nest learn how to swim and then by the way crawl back up here using your tiny little claws on your wings okay love you bye Dude, yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, and what's even weirder is that the young eat the regurgitated, fermented food from the crop stomach of these birds. So it's like you're you're basically just being raised on sauerkraut as well. So gross. That's disgusting. Dude, I would not want to be one of these baby Hotsons. If I come back, please don't put me in the body of a Hotson because sounds like mm-hmm. sounds like a weird place to be. I imagine it's more thrilling than like if you were a regular baby bird in a nest and a predator came and you were just like, well, it's over. <laughs> At least these guys are just like, peace out and mission impossible. Dun, 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 dun. Through my nest. Boo. Yeah. This brings us to our last bird on the list, even though there are lots of birds, I'm sure, that are having identity crises. It is 2019, after all. <laughs> yeah, everyone's having one. Our last bird on the list is the New Zealand Kia. It's not spelled like the car. No, no. And it also... Kia. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, this this episode is just all about songs. And the not songs if you're an Evening Grow Speak, but... Sorry, Evening Grow Speak, you don't get one. The Kia is the world's only alpine parrot, which means that it lives in 
the mountains. Um, it's the only one, and its omnivorous diet also includes carrion, which most parrots are omnivores, but generally the diet doesn't consist of meat, but this is definitely one of its things based on where it lives. It also consists of roots, leaves, berries, nectar, and insects. This is one of the three parrot species which has evolved in isolation over millions of years, which is why it is only found in the alpine. So, and they've evolved in this extremely harsh and variable mountain environment, and they live over about a 3.5 million hectare range. So they live all over, even though they are sad to say endangered, um, but in 1986, they received full coverage under the Wildlife Act. So most parrots we expect to find in tropical areas, but this guy, because of where he lives, he is having an identity crisis. He should be a vulture probably. Like, seriously, looking at pictures of this parrot, I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is definitely a vulture. So this bird kind of thinks it's a vulture. It's like a bearded vulture lives in the mountains eating carrion. I really hope this bird yodels being an alpine oh parrot. The reason that they were um, originally killed was because the sheep farming community stated that they attacked their livestock, especially sheep, for food. What? Which is not very, like, indicative of parrot characteristics. What? The Kia was once killed for bounty. But again, it's received full protection under the Wildlife Act in New Zealand. So numbers are coming back, but they still are extremely endangered. That's crazy. Can you imagine being a sheep farmer, I guess? A shepherd? I don't know what you are. (laughs) Sheep farmer. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're a shepherd. And basically saying like, hey, man, these little tiny parrots keep attacking and killing my livestock. That's crazy. Do you think they do it in like swarms? Do you think they like plot and they're like, all right, we're going after that one. And then they all dive in together. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. That's not, maybe that's how it happens, but it remains to be seen. Yeah. In 1992, nocturnal assaults were captured on video, proving that at least some Kia will attack and feed on healthy sheep. Oh my God. It uses its powerful curved beak and claws to rip through layers of wool and eat the fat from the back of the animal. Dude. Though they don't directly kill the sheep, death can result from infections or accidents suffered while trying to escape. That bird is so badass. The reasons why they attack are unclear, though. So various theories include similarities with existing food sources because they do eat a lot of dead meat, mm-hmm. curiosity, entertainment, hunger, because these are, again, a parrot. So parrots are extremely intelligent birds. Yeah. Some of that may be they're bored living up in the mountains with jack shit to do. <laughs> so they're like, well, gonna, I guess I'm just going to learn how to eat sheep now. It's not built out for the rural lifestyle. There's no good theaters in the countryside. Got to make your own entertainment by just killing livestock. But seriously, looking at them, they have a dustier plumage than I would expect most parrots to have. They're a little like more muted because of the environment that they live in. But they honestly do look like more of a vulture than a parrot. Wow. I mean, you see the parrot, obviously, but like when I look at them, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely a bird of prey. And it's so funny that they were actually hunted for killing sheep and they were proven to eat sheep. Dang. Well, Kia, we hope you make a comeback because you deserve it. Yeah. So your identity crisis is you live in the mountains and you think you are a vulture. Good job, Kia. You'll find your way. I mean, just become a vulture. Just become part of the family. Everyone will confuse you with a bald eagle. That's what I do with turkey vultures. Still haven't figured that one out. 
There's something about the way they fly. Like bald eagles, like they they have like straight horizontal wings, and turkey vultures are like the V shape when they're flying overhead. But you know, I also think turkey vultures' wings look so much more sparse mm. along the edges. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We see so many turkey vultures here. I'm always like, it's a turkey vulture. It's a turkey. Vulture. I know. I become a lazy bird of prey or in that way because it's like, nah, it's a turkey vulture. I saw a northern harrier this weekend. That was cool. Ooh. Yeah. I had to look Where that did one you up. see him? Uh, I was in this marsh. There, I feel like it's hard to, with raptors, because so many raptors have similar plumage, I feel mm-hmm. like. Red-tailed hawks, thank God they exist, because that's just like, oh, hey, psh, gotcha. Made that one easier. Dude, that's a pretty bird. It's super pretty. So that was cool. Oh. And I actually, I was like, Sam, stop the kayak and... We had to stop the kayak so I could, like, really get a good look at it. Because you're right. Like, I have a hard time with the plumage on a lot of birds of prey. But it uh, it was pretty cool to be able to ID that one and be like, that is definitely what that was. And it was behaving in the way that it said it would behave. And so that also helped as well. Thanks, eBird. Saving the day. Was it mostly brown? I don't know. <laughs> okay, good. It's hard, as we novice birders know. Guys, thanks for tuning in for this week's episode, or this every other week's episode. Look at your life and realize whatever you're going through, at least you are not one of these birds. Yeah, at least you're not in a taxonomy that you feel like you don't belong to. And you're revolting by not singing. (laughs) Yeah, because your parents mistreated you and made you never want to be a singer. (laughs) I'm glad that's the woeful tale of the evening gross beak. Like, at least the American Dipper ended up with a really cool backstory, like... It just loved swimming. It thought it was a mermaid. And now it is. <laughs> it went to like one too many mermaid conferences. It had one too many mermaid frappuccinos. <laughs> and was like, this is it. This is it. really want you to write like a scientific origins book. And then you just start writing like, this bird went to too many mermaid conferences <laughs> and, is now, <laughs> and is now part duck. <laughs> I'd probably just base it on Twilight somehow end up writing it that way i mean if it worked for 50 shades of gray it would probably work so you're gonna do bird fanfic bird fanfic is what i oh my god that's gonna be my genre tune in folks it's coming i turn all characters into birds and then write a fanfic about them something tells me this has already been done if not look for our upcoming novel harry no it's gonna be it's gonna be like (laughs) wild wings and wild nights (laughs) okay so that's just a romance i know but i gotta somehow make it about whatever twilight was about i didn't even read it or see the movies but i have a feeling that came up well i think they're vampires so wings are a thing well i know they're vampires i don't think i know (laughs) we have that fact from twilight (laughs) we have that fact from twilight is that they are vampires so that's i mean we could just make them into birds it's a let's think about it though the romance scenes are gonna be so sad unless it's like a duck because then it'll be like it lasted for two seconds, and then I came back two minutes later, and it lasted for another two seconds. And then we were done and never spoke again. A cloacus kiss, and that was it. Cloacus kiss. And then I didn't even get his name. He did some dance, and I couldn't say no. There was a flash of feathers, and it was really pretty, and I just nodded my head, and that was it. He visits my nest sometimes, sometimes not, but we have six children now. I'm on my second brood. Can, can can it just be called the cloaca kiss? The clo- <laughs> yes. I think I think okay. that's what my bird fanfic is gonna be called. Well, it'll be about ten pages long. Yeah, that's about how long it lasts, so 
Wow, this is getting way off topic. But I think we know what we're talking about next time. We're gonna we're gonna yeah. develop this into a thing. Oh, you guys for sure. Um, actually, we do have some interviews coming up. We'll be interviewing a couple other people in the birding community. So. Stay tuned for more info about those. While you're waiting for those interviews to come out, you can feel free to find us on social media at Birdship Podcast, or you can send us an email, especially if you're Chris Pratt, because I'm still waiting on that one. Hello, birdshit at gmail.com. But until then, keep your eyes to the skies.